I'll let you know this room, I know I mentioned it a little bit last week, but uh, last weekend this room looked so different because there was a wedding happening in here. And I've done quite a few weddings at Woodside, but this was my first one in this room. Like I, I was in this room, so like literally I stood like right here with the groom as the door swung open. If you've never been here for one of those, like it's so dramatic and awesome because he's there. And just so you know, like I'm in his ear the whole time. Like I'm, I'm you know, and I'm going like, hey, did you have a chance to use the restroom yet? You know, and like just to try to like get him nervous, you know, and like so I'm, I'm in his ear. And then the doors fly open and out she's, and you can just see like the calmest of grooms, they're sweating bullets at that. It's awesome. Like, so this place had been totally transformed. And I like the marriage process because normally what I do is I, in the very beginning, I will meet with the bride and the groom and just start to get to know them as a couple. And I ask some questions, right? I look at her and I will normally look at her and I'll say, why do you want to marry him? Like if everyone in the world why that guy, like every day for the rest of your life? You know, why him? And then I look at him and I go, man, a lot of fish in the sea. There's a bunch out there. Like, you, so you're telling me that you want to, for the rest of your life, love her as Christ loves the church. That's, that's what you're wanting to do, right? And so what I'm looking for there, I'm looking for chemistry, I'm looking for chemistry. I want to see that there's something in these two where there's, there's a spark, right? That they actually like each other. I mean, I know they love each other, but they should like each other too, right? That thing should be there. Like, it should, there should be clear chemistry. So I'm, I'm looking for that. And I'm looking for compatibility, equally yoked, right? I'm looking for that. I want them to be in agreement on some very important things like their faith. It doesn't mean that they think with one mind on everything, but there should be some agreement when it comes to their faith. Not agreement with me, and that's important. I tell them, you're not marrying me, you know, so you don't have to be equally yoked with me, but your equally yokedness should come from the Word of God, right? It should come from your foundation of who you are in Christ. So I'm looking for compatibility. So not just chemistry, I want compatibility too, because if, if she's saying, I want eight kids, and he's saying, I want no kids, that's an issue with compatibility. We need to work through some of that before the whole, I do, I do, you can kiss the bride, right? You got to work through some of those details, because here's what happens. Inevitably, life starts to go, all of life is not a honeymoon. Normally, it is with my wife. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> so life starts to happen and there does come a place where you're five years past the honeymoon 10 years 25 years however many years you're on down from the honeymoon honeymoon's like way back in the rearview mirror you can't even see it anymore right it's gone and life happens and then there's struggles that hit in life very real struggles those things happen we call that conflict and sometimes when chemistry and compatibility enter the ring with conflict, conflict will so oftentimes overcome chemistry and compatibility, right? It's not new. Go back to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, you have Adam and Eve, right? There was chemistry, right? There was this spark between them. Do you remember like the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and so he went to sleep and the Lord took a, a rib from the man and fashioned into a, a woman out of the rib and the man woke up. I'm going to try it. Here we go. The man woke up and he said, whoa, man. Nope. Nope. 
all right, so I've been working this thing for two services, and I, I even talked to Gerard out in the hall, and he's like, no, no, here's how you make it work. I know it's a pastor joke, and it's not funny at all, but if you do this, maybe it'll work. Like, smile ahead of time, and it still didn't work. Like, anyway, there was a spark, right? There physically was a spark between the two. There was compatibility. Talk about compatibility. They had everything in common. They had one mission together. The work was together. They walked with the Lord in the garden together. Spiritually, they were together. There was compatibility until there wasn't. See, chemistry and compatibility work great until it doesn't work great. And then sin entered the picture. When sin entered the picture, chemistry compatibility, it went out the window We see their relationship with the Lord. It was shaken to its very core. Everything fell apart. And they tried, didn't they? They tried on their own to fix it. They sowed fig leaves. Like, we're going to hide from the Lord. We're going to do all this. But what I'm going to... We're not really talking about marriage. Just so you know, today, today has nothing to do with marriage. Really has everything to do with relationships, though. And when it comes to relationships, you'll never experience lasting unity and peace through your own power. When it's in your own power, you might experience unity and peace that lasts that long, but it's not going to be a lasting unity. It's not going to be a lasting peace. That brings us to our big idea today. The big idea is that unity and peace are found in Jesus. That's where they're found. Take your Bibles, open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And if you don't already have this bookmarked, we're going to be here literally until Easter in the book of Ephesians. So just put your bulletin right there. That way you can get there quickly in the future weeks. Ephesians chapter 2. So Paul is writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. Okay, Paul. Paul is a perfect example of all this. Perfect example. Before he was Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus, right? He loved unity. In fact, if he didn't like how you were living, he was going to annihilate you, and now there was going to be peace and unity again. Right? That's how Paul dealt with things. Think about what he did. He saw Stephen. Stephen was this Jewish man who all of a sudden was now going to be a Christian. And so what Paul do? He was there in the planning of the execution of Stephen. Not just the planning. The actual day where people picked up rocks and they threw them at Stephen until they killed him. They stoned him to death. Saul was right there watching the whole thing. He saw it as his duty kind of like an honor to see the persecution and the judgment of Jews who converted to Christianity. So in that, what you see is you see, I love this, you see this teacher of persecution becomes a teacher of peace. Isn't that what God does? God takes your liability, he takes that thing that's your weakness, and he flips it upside down to where he's glorified through it. It happens with John, happens with Peter, happens right here with Paul again and again and again. And it can happen in your life. The very thing that is your liability, the Lord can flip it upside down on his back and he can be glorified through that very thing. So Paul, who was a teacher of persecution, becomes a teacher of peace once Jesus took control of his life. But I think that kind of takes us to this point of saying, all right, so as Christians, we understand That Jesus has already defeated the enemy on the cross. He has already given us peace. He has already given us unity. But church, isn't it true that sometimes it's, it's hard, isn't it? We live in a world of chaos. We live in a world that is at conflict with one another. If you just take your phone and open up your favorite news app, it's going to be conflict after conflict after conflict. Relational nation against nation. Like it's all over the place. 
Right? So how are we supposed to live at peace in that type of culture? And that's where Paul's going to show us three things from Ephesians 2. First, we're going to see that we have to remember how far away from God that we were. How far away from God we used to be. So we've talked about this over the past weeks. Paul's going to move into an area of Ephesians where it's highly instructional. But right now he's talking a lot about identity. As he writes this letter to the church, he wants his church to understand, here's who you are in Christ. Here is who you are in Christ. Again and again, here's who you are in Christ. And so he tells us we have to remember how far away from God we used to be. Let's pick up in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul writes this. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So this church that Paul's writing to, this church at Ephesus, is diverse. Church, this is a highly diverse church. Because you couldn't just go down the road to the Methodist church if you didn't like the Baptist church. Right? You couldn't go across the street to the Lutheran church or down the road to the Catholic church. You couldn't do that. There was one church. And so you had these Greeks and these Romans and these Persians, these Egyptians, these Jews, all coming together in one church. You've heard me so often talk about the Jews and the Gentiles and how they were at odds with each other. Let me give you a clearer picture of that. The Jews. The Jews looked at the Gentiles and said, those people are heathens and they're bound for hell. They are no good on this planet. They do no good to God. They're heathens who are bound for, in fact, they would pray daily, Lord, thank you for not making me like that person. Like that's exactly what they would do. They would thank the Lord that they, they had laws. They said if a woman is giving birth and she has complications in giving birth, you can't render assistance because you're just bringing another heathen into the world. You need to pass by on the other side of the road. So can you imagine how the Gentiles received that? The Gentiles received that and said, oh my goodness, you murderous people who are anti-humankind. You are vile. You are disgusting. So all of a sudden you had this huge conflict between these two cultures. It was a very real conflict between the two cultures. And so Paul starts this whole thing out in the previous 10 verses by addressing both groups because they didn't have chemistry. They didn't have compatibility at all. Like, they just did not mix well. So Paul says, let's be clear about who I'm talking to. I'm talking to people who are spiritually dead. Jews, spiritually dead. Gentiles, spiritually dead. We all have this common ground that without Christ, we are spiritually dead. Do you see that? Like, that's how he's entering this conversation. And as he's entering into this conversation, he addresses them both in the way that we would. We tend to describe people based on traits that are skin deep, right? Like if you go home and you're talking to someone at home about someone else, you'd be like, oh, you know, that person, that, and then you start to describe them. How do you describe them? 
You're going to go off of the tone of their skin. They have hair. They don't have hair. What nation they were born in. What university they went to. You know, those people who went to that school. What state they're from. What political party. Oh, yeah, we do that, don't we? You know, those people who like that person or those people who don't like that person. Like, that's what we do. The issue here that Paul's talking about is the issue of circumcision, and it was a big deal in the first century. And here's why. The Jewish people would say we can go all the way back to the covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. Circumcision is a way to show that we are God's chosen people. This is what seals us to where we know and can identify us from everyone else. Even though there were other nations who practiced circumcision, they viewed theirs as different And so they literally would say, we are the circumcision. Everyone else would be the uncircumcision. Lord, thank you for making us your chosen people. Meanwhile, you have over here the Greeks and Romans looking going, that's disgusting. What are y'all doing? Like, that's just gross. There's no need for it. In fact, there's a lot of very vulgar humor. If you go back and read a lot of first century writings... It's, um, their humor is pretty vulgar and gross about this particular topic. So they're saying, you guys are disgusting. You guys are, are gross. Now, we need to remember that Paul is writing this as a man who is raised Jewish. So clearly, he was circumcised. And look what he says. He says that it is made in the flesh by hands. And we kind of pause and go, Yeah, Paul, that's how that works. Like, it's going to be made by hands. But here's what he's referring to. He's referring to this phrase that in the Old Testament, the Jews would use, made by hands, talking about idol worship. Right? With idol worship. They knew that idol worship was so fruitless. Because that idol, that thing that you make with your hand, it can't save you. It can't rescue you. It can't make you right with God. And Paul is saying, your heritage is not going to make you right with God. That is not going to be the thing that makes you right with God. Circumcision was understood to be a sign of God's chosen people, but he was saying there's a new covenant that's been made in Christ. So when you step back a little bit, man, this whole thing seems ridiculous, doesn't it? A little bit weird, a little bit gross, like what's wrong with you? And we think, man, we're so mature now. We're so good. We're so much further along. And I know I've said this all through this series, but church, I don't, I actually don't think we are at all. I think we're the same. I think the topic has changed a little bit, but I want you to think about what we fight about today. I want you to think about what the conflicts in our nation are about right now. It's about what colors your skin. It's about what state are you from. It's about, are you a Republican or a Democrat? It's going to be about, are you a man or a woman? It's going to be about, do you support this side or that side, this group or that group? That's what our conflicts are about, which then breeds into sexism and racism and elitism, all the isms, right? All the isms is what ends up happening because of this, because of the way that we treat people who are a little bit different than we are. And so I guess the only place we can go with this is instead of talking about the whole rest of the world, why don't we look in the mirror this morning? Who are you in conflict with right now? I mean, I want you to answer that in your heart. Who are you 
in conflict with. Because some of you are this close to leaving your job right now, aren't you? You're this close because of a conflict you just can't get over. Some of you, some of you, you don't remember the last time you talked to your mom or your dad because of the conflict that exists, your son, your daughter, your brother, your sister. Some of you are about willing to put your house up on the market because you're so tired of that neighbor. There's just conflict. Some of you, your spouse, once upon a time, you stood in a place just like this. You said to have and to hold for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health. Till death do us part. And right now you're going, I am about done with you. I guess my question is, why? Now some of you, you feel like I've got a pretty legit reason. Can I just say that so many times our conflicts, when compared to a backdrop of eternity, they're, they're that deep, guys. The conflicts that we won't let go of, that that other person's not even thinking about right now, the conflicts that we're holding on to when compared to eternity, they're that deep. And yet, on your own, you're not going to fix it. It's only going to be through Christ. And then Paul doesn't pull punches. He keeps going. He says, let me talk about the Gentiles. Gentiles, you're Christless. You don't have a Savior. You're stateless. You don't have your own nation. You're friendless. You're not a child of God. You're hopeless. You have no hope in this world. Do you see that? And then he says, but, but for the Jew who places their faith in Jesus as Messiah and Lord, for the Gentile who places their faith in Jesus as Messiah and Lord, there's going to be unity. Because the enemy, the enemy's already been defeated. There's going to be unity, and there's going to bring, there's going to be a, a bringing of peace. I'm going to take these two groups who are odds with each other, who are at conflict with each other, and I'm going to bring one new church. Isn't this incredible? Like that's where Paul goes with it. That takes us to this place where we can find peace as we reconcile with others, because God reconciled us. Look at verse 13. It says, "But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off." have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility and he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And so Paul calls the Gentiles people who are far off. And he calls the Jews those who were near. And he says both groups are going to come together in unity because of Christ. It's going to be through Christ. And then you see this phrase in the Greek, he himself. Do you see that? This is, this is emphatic. This is powerful. It's talking about twofold peace. It's a peace that happens as you and I are reconciled to God. And it's a peace that happens as we are reconciled to others. So there's this powerful peace that's happening through Jesus because I couldn't do it. Right? I had no power to fix this long-lasting peace and unity in my own power. You couldn't do it. It's only Jesus, and he did it. So Jesus took these two groups, Jews and Gentiles, who are conflict with each other, and he brings unity. Because now there's a third category. 
The third category is this third race, this this church, this new family that comes together. The work of Christ breaks down that wall of hostility. Do you see that phrase? Wall of hostility. So oftentimes when you're reading through the Bible, there's imagery that the initial readers would have received when they read it. And this is one of those. The wall of hostility. See, that would have taken them to Herod's temple. At Herod's temple, there was a, a court of Gentiles. That's where like people like you and me, like we could go hang out in the court of Gentiles. It's kind of on the outer part of the temple. But then there was a wall, a wall that divided the area the Gentiles were allowed to go to the area the Jews were allowed to go. On that wall, there was an inscription in Latin and in Greek. In fact, I have pictures to show you. Of the inscriptions, this came from excavations in 1871 and 1934, which to me is so cool because that's like very, very recent history. When you think 2,000 years, that's pretty recent. Let me read what the inscriptions say. They say, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. The wall of hostility. So when Paul writes about this wall of hostility, the Jews, the Gentiles, they would have been crystal clear on the separation. Here's what it sounds like today. There's some tracks right there. You stay over there. I'll stay over here. We'll get along great. There's a line in the sand. Don't cross my line in the sand. Fences, fences make for great neighbors. You know, that's how you, that's what we do today. This is a line. You stay in your bubble. I'll stay in my bubble. And we'll call that peace. We'll call that unity. As long as we don't see each other, talk to each other, we're going to get along great. The answer, and I want to be careful here because I don't want this to sound too political, but the answer is not political, church. The answer to conflict in our world is not Washington, D.C., and it is not Lansing, and it's not economic. It is not take those you're in conflict with and just give them bunches of money, and that's going to fix everything. It's not technology. If the whole world was only wired to the internet, boy, then that would fix the conflict. That's not what's going to fix it. And it's not material. It's not, I want to take everything away from you and give it to all of you, right? It's, that's not, we've tried for 2,000 years to do this. That's what we've tried for 2,000 years. We have tried, let's buy our peace, let's use technology, let's use material gain, let's, let's do all of these methods, the answer is spiritual. The answer every single time is going to be Jesus. He is the only one who can bring this kind of a peace. And some of you in here, you're kind of new to church and you're new to faith. And you're going, whew, he's getting pretty fired up right now. Like he's getting all excited. I don't understand though. Like how is it that money can't bring peace or politics can't bring peace, but Jesus can't? How would Jesus bring peace? Paul actually answers that right now. He says, we see that he abolished the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances. If you're wondering, what is that? Well, that's the old covenant. And so that's why some people today, they take their Bibles and they say, well, what Paul just said is we should just unhitch from the Old Testament. So I can just take the Old Testament and just rip it right out of here, right? The answer is no. No, that's not right. We know that the answer is no because of Matthew 5. Jesus is talking and he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all 
is accomplished. What Paul is saying is there has been a new covenant of reconciliation because Jesus came and lived and died and lived again. We can get to Galatians 3, which says there is neither Jew nor Greek. Let's not speed past that. Based on what you've heard this morning, do you hear how powerful that statement is? There's neither Jew nor Greek. Do you hear how freeing that is for both groups who are in conflict with each other? How incredibly freeing that statement is. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The point is, in Christ, all barriers are broken down. That when Jesus is reigning in our hearts and we're walking with the Spirit, conflict dies. Barriers break. Hostility ends. And it happens because we are in Christ. Because on the cross, Jesus defeated the enemy. He is on the mat, and it's like, one, two, three, you're down, you're beat, game over. But you know what we do, even as Christians? We look at the enemy sometimes, we go, ha, you're beat, you're defeated. We see him kind of wiggle up a little bit, and we don't say anything. And then we see him wiggle up a little bit more, and we still just, we just kind of look at him, right? And the next thing we know, we've got this relationship, and it's almost like he's standing all the way up right in the middle of that relationship, and we feel like we're victims. My friends, you're not a victim. Sometimes you're afraid. You're afraid to look at that person and you're afraid to say, I haven't loved you like Christ and I'm sorry. And through his grace, I'm going to love you like that. I think we're afraid to say that I'm sorry. I've been looking at you as an enemy instead of my ally. I think we're afraid to say, you know that my heart is wounded, and I know that your heart is wounded, and we're not going to allow this to end in a selfish, fiery crash. We're going to let there be reconciliation between the two of us, and our relationship is going to be such a testimony of the work of the kingdom in our lives. So when you think about that work relationship and that family relationship and your friend relationship, what does this look like? You see, here's what this requires for that to happen. And, and I'm going to try to make this as clear as I can. You have to die to yourself. Your selfish ambition, your needs, your wants, your mindness, that has to go away. You've got to pick up your cross and follow him as his disciple. You've got to follow in the steps of Christ. That's where it comes from. Christ the power of Christ is greater than the power of conflict. And that brings us to our last point. We're going to see how this works in community. We recognize that we're part of a spiritual family. Look at verse 19. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This emphasizes so much beauty and unity in community with Christ. Do you see the three illustrations that he used there? At first, he said that the church is like a city. We're fellow citizens. We're like a city. That means we walk the same streets together, don't we? Which is true. You and I, we walk the same streets, the same community together. We know the same cultural stories of our area. 
You know, we know these things. It's where we serve under the same banner together. We serve the same king together. Then he describes us as a family. Did you say, well, as a family, that's why we use language in here, like we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the same heavenly father. There's one love that we all share together. When one person in our family hurts, we all hurt. When one person, when one person is celebrating, we all celebrate right? We, we don't have a lot of jealousy running around. This is family, being family together. And then you see this description of a building, right? We are a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus is the cornerstone. We are his living stones. You know, my hope is as we build this next phase of the building, that people don't look and say, man, look how big that church is that's being built. Because the building, you guys have heard this, the building isn't the church. We are the church. And so here's the picture I want you to see. A city. I want you to picture the city with the gates wide open, telling everyone, come on in. You can be part of our city. A family. Front door's open. Not only that, but the dinner's on the table. And there's an empty seat because that empty seat's for you. There's always room enough for one more at God's table. When it comes to the temple... I hope that people look at us and say, we're a continued work in progress. We're not done yet, right? The Lord is still doing work. We're still under construction a bit, aren't we? There's still some work happening in our hearts. Peace and unity. Guys, they're ours in Christ Jesus. They're there. It's going to take a humility. It's going to take releasing selfishness in your life. But in Christ, you do have the power to have reconciliation in those relationships. Jesus, I think, shows us the most powerful picture of this with communion. If you remember, Jesus, the night that he would be arrested, he brought the disciples together, and he started out by removing his outer garments. He got down on his hands and his knees, and he washed their feet. Where's the selfishness there? Where's the puff-upness in Jesus there? Where's the entitlement there? And the answer is it, it's, it's not there. And our response has to be exactly. We're supposed to live as Christ. Those things aren't there. Jesus prayed. He prayed for the disciples. He prayed for us. He talked about the vine and the branches. Eventually, he came to a place in the mill where he took the bread he gave thanks. He broke the bread. And he said, this is like my body that will be broken for you. Now listen. He said, it'll be broken for you and for all so that sins can be forgiven. So when you eat, I want you to remember. He said for you and for all. He didn't say for you and only the people you get along with, but not those you're in conflict with because we all know they're a bunch of bad guys, a bunch of bad girls. We don't like them. They... No, he said, I'm doing this for you and for all so that sins can be forgiven. He said, when you drink, I want you to remember, because my blood is being shed for you and for all, for the forgiveness of sins. So we're going to hand out the elements in just a moment. Here's what I want you to do is I want you to take the bread, I want you to take the cup, and I just want you to hold on to them for a moment, and I want you to examine your heart. And if there is conflict in your life with someone else, like I would love to say, let's just press pause on the service until we can do business and get this done. Um, this isn't a two-minute conversation, probably, for most of you, though. This conversation toward reconciliation is going to take a little time, isn't it? So will you let today be the starting point? Let today be the start of that reconciliation. 
And you do that by holding that bread and holding that cup and saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I recognize my part in this. I recognize what I've done and how I haven't lived as Christ. And Lord, I want you to forgive me. Start just by preparing your heart before you engage that conversation with them. So you don't have to be a member to take communion, but we do ask that you're a follower of Jesus. I want you to take the bread, take the cup, just examine your heart and let the power of the Lord be the one who works to bring unity and peace in your relationships. Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for this powerful reminder in Scripture. And Lord, we pray that you just speak powerfully to us. Bring healing and restoration in these relationships as we prepare for communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.